Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Acts chapter 1. Acts 1. We're going to be reading the first 11 verses, but focusing just on the first three of that chapter. Before we read that, we are going to read from Luke chapter 1. So perhaps you want to put a bookmark in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to begin by reading Luke chapter 1, just the first four verses. So beginning with Luke chapter 1, verse 1, what we hear now is God's word. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And now turning over to Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, I'll read the first 11 verses. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight." And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, tonight we are beginning a new series of sermons on the book of Acts. Acts is about the establishment of the New Testament church. And I, I think we're probably only going to look at the first half of this book. There are 28 chapters. I plan to go just about through the first 12 or so. That will bring us up to the missionary journeys of Paul which perhaps we'll study uh, some other time together. Uh, in our study of Psalms, we talked about um, understanding literature by understanding the genre in which it was written. 
We talked about the different genre of the psalms, the laments and the hymns and the thanksgivings and the enthronement psalms and the imprecatory psalms. And knowing something of the genre helped us to understand what was being written about. Well, again, as we change series, going from psalms to acts, we are changing genre again. Uh, in general, we can say the psalms are poetry. That's their general genre. The acts are prose. It is narrative. It is story. And so we read it differently than we read the Psalms. And there are some wonderful stories in the book of Acts. Uh, the story of the ascension that we read this morning, or this, this evening. The story of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The story in Acts chapter 3 where Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. We have the story in Acts 6 of the first deacons being chosen. The story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Wonderful stories about the beginnings of the New Testament church. The book of Acts has a particular placement and function in the scriptures. Acts serves as a bridge between the gospels and the epistles. In that way, it is similar to the books of Joshua and Judges in the Old Testament. They also serve as a bridge. At the end of Deuteronomy, we have Israel coming out of captivity. And then in Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, we have the establishment of the monarchy. What bridges these two uh, sections is Joshua and Judges. What happened in the meantime? How did they get from just coming out of captivity to the monarchy being established? That's given to us in Joshua and in Judges. Think of it, kids. What would it be like if we didn't have the book of Acts. If we didn't have Acts, at the end of the Gospels, we would read about Jesus and a few of his followers. And the next thing we would read is the epistles, letters being written to all kinds of churches. Churches in Rome, churches in Ephesus, churches in Philippi, churches in Corinth. And we'd say, where did all these churches come from? When we left off the Gospels, it was only Jesus and a few people. And now we have churches everywhere. Well, Acts is that bridge for us. It helps us understand what happened after the Gospels with a few and the Gospel going out to the many, to the churches. I've called tonight's sermon Luke Part 2. Uh, because, of course, Luke the author not only of the gospel, but Luke, the author of Acts. Part one is the gospel, and we have Luke writing to us there. Part two is Acts. Again, a book of history. It's the longest book in the New Testament, and also, just by the way, not an easy book to read in Greek. Not easy at all. Um, when you begin to learn Greek, uh, you start out with very easy parts of the New Testament, like the letters of John, very, very easy. That's like, um, 
That's like reading, you know, Dick and Jane. Do people still read Dick and Jane? Is that still a thing? I, I grew up with Dick and Jane and Spot and Sally. And, well, it, it's very, very simple. Very, very simple. Luke and Acts is not like Dick and Jane. Luke and Acts is much more like reading Shakespeare. It's a lot of work. But there's a beauty, there's a depth that we see as Luke gives us the history of the development of the New Testament church. Luke was a careful historian. Notice how he begins his gospel. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account. Luke wants to write a careful, orderly account of what has taken place. And so he makes careful investigation. He talks with the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus Christ and who spent time with Jesus Christ. He made a careful investigation. And one of the things we notice about that is that Luke himself was not an eyewitness. Luke was not a disciple. Luke was not an apostle. He may have spent some time traveling with Paul, but Luke is a historian. And he wants to give us a very careful, well-researched history of what took place. We read in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, I write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, we don't know who Theophilus was, but we know why Luke writes. He writes so Theophilus can have certainty about Jesus Christ. Luke does not write to give us his opinion about Jesus. He writes to give us careful facts, well-researched facts, now, it's important to recognize that because we live in an age when everyone's opinion seems to count for the same, whether it's an informed opinion or not. And certainly social media has fostered the spread of that. Anything that's posted is often given the same weight as anything else, regardless of who it came from. It was a, a great meme on Facebook I saw I know, last week or the week before. Someone posts this. All of my friends who during the impeachment were constitutional scholars now have become experts on infectious disease. Anyone gives an opinion. And they're all kind of treated the same. Luke is not here to give us his opinion, one more opinion about Jesus Christ. But he is here to give certainty. We live in a time where, where it seems every religion is a matter of opinion. 
Well, if Jesus works for you, that's fine. Go ahead and follow him. But someone else works for me. It's important to remember the gospel, the Christian faith, is a matter of fact. It's a matter of history. Jesus didn't live because we think he lived, because we believe he lived. He lived because he actually was a real, live person who took place in time. The Christian faith is based on fact. From Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The Christian faith is a historical faith. It is based on fact. We could go to a text like 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we read in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He appeared to many. He actually lived. The Christian faith is a historical faith. Now that's in contrast to some others. If you ask a Buddhist, did the Buddha actually ever exist? His response will be, well, what difference does it make? It doesn't matter whether or not the Buddha actually existed. We have this body of teaching. We have this belief. That is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith, while being embraced by faith, is a matter of of historical fact. It is based on truth, the truth of God's Word. We can, we can rely on it. Luke says, I've made a careful investigation. I studied all the eyewitnesses to give you certainty. If you are wondering if the gospel is true, I can say without hesitation, it absolutely is true. Not because I believe it. Not even because you believe it. Because it really happened is recorded for us in the Word of God itself. We can have faith in God's Word, trust in God's Word, assurance in God's Word, certainty in God's Word, because it is the Word of God, true to the facts of history. Luke, the historian, is going to give us the story, tell us the facts, but as a historian, he will also give us his interpretation of the facts. Remember, the word history has at least two different meanings. History refers to an event that took place. It also refers to the record of the event that took place. And those can sometimes be a little different. 
That became very, very clear to me um, when I was at seminary. I had a friend there who was from South Carolina. And one time I made reference to the Civil War. And he corrected me saying, I believe you mean the War of Northern Aggression. Now, we were referring to the same event, the Civil War, but he had a very different take on it, being a Southerner, than I did. And that's some of the difficulty in understanding Acts today. It's sometimes referred to as the problem of the normativity of Acts or the problem of the historical precedent. Is Acts giving us description of what took place, or is it prescription of what should take place? Is Acts descriptive, or is it prescriptive? Now, there are some who will say, Acts is only descriptive. It simply records the history of what took place back then and is in no way normative for us today. There are some who will say the opposite. They will say all of Acts is prescriptive. If they did it in Acts, we better do it today. And so we will look later in chapter 1 when they're going to replace um, one of the disciples. Uh, they will draw lots for who the next one will be. And they will say to us, our, our friends will say to us, look, right there in the Bible, they drew lots for office bearers. That's what we should do today. Acts is prescriptive. If they did it, well, we should do it. In Acts chapter 2, we read about the believers having all things in common. You see, we should be working some, some sort of Christian communal living. It's in Acts. It's in the Bible. And prescriptive for us today. How do we know? How do we know what is descriptive? How do we know what is prescriptive? And the answer is by careful study. By careful study of the context. And of course, the, the most immediate context for Acts will be the Gospel of Luke because it's the same author. How does Luke describe things? What type of words does he use? Is this prescriptive or descriptive? It will also be in the context of the New Testament epistles, because what they did in the churches in many ways reflects instructions given in Acts. They weren't simply descriptive at times, they were prescriptive, so a careful study of the epistles. And of course, recognizing Acts, the place of Acts in the history of redemption. We don't simply pick and choose. Well, I, I like what they did here. We should do that now today. But it's a careful study of the Word of God. Luke, the historian, is going to bring us not only a historical message, but a contemporary message, a message for us today. Children, the title of the book is Acts. Not, a, not an axe like you chop down a tree, but acts like things that you do. So let me ask you this question. Who is Acts the Acts of? Whom is being spoken about 
in the book of Acts. Now, now in my Bible, the title of the page here is the Acts of the Apostles. And that's not a bad title. Acts is about the Acts of the Apostles, or we might say the major figures in the formation of the New Testament church. Because we see that there's somewhat of of an outline of Acts in those major figures. In chapters 2 through 5, we read about Peter, one of the apostles. In chapter 6 and 7, we read about Stephen. In chapter 8, we read about Philip. Not apostles, but leaders in the church. And then chapters 13 through the end are about the apostle Paul. So yes, it is the Acts of the Apostles. Some say, no, it's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the church in the New Testament. And there's, there's reason to look at that. For chapter 1 of Acts, verse 8, where we read, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, the expansion of the church. And in a certain way, that outlines the book of Acts. Chapters 1 through 7 are about the church in Jerusalem, Chapters 8 through 12, about the expansion to Judea and Samaria. And chapter 13 and following, to the end of the earth. So there's something to commend itself. It's the acts of the church. Some say, no, both of those are far too man-centered. The acts is the acts of the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, we read about the acts of God the Father. In the Gospels, we read the Acts of God the Son. And in the book of Acts, we read the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now there's something to commend itself there, because certainly we are uh, confronted with the Holy Spirit right away. Already in verse 2, until the day he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Again in verse 5, for John baptized with water, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Holy Spirit right at the beginning of this book has a prominent place. Again from verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and be my witnesses. Of course, chapter 2, that Pentecost story and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 6, when the deacons are chosen, they are told to find men full of the Spirit. And in the story of Philip and the Ethiopian, we see the Spirit of God moving Philip to go and speak with the Ethiopian. There's something to commend itself, to talk about the acts of the Holy Spirit. But to do so, I would suggest, tends to over- divide the Trinity. God is triune, and he works in concert with himself. To suggest that the Father is in the Old Testament and the Son is in the Gospels and the Holy Spirit is in Acts tends to isolate the work of the Godhead. God is triune. Father Son, Holy Spirit. He works in concert with himself, always perfectly 
revealed throughout the scriptures. No, I would suggest it's not the acts primarily of the apostles of the church. It's not primarily the acts of the Holy Spirit. But we might say it is the acts of Jesus Christ. Now, again, with the cautions about dividing the Trinity too much, that should come as no surprise to us. Kids, how many times have I told you Jesus is the main character in all of Scripture, in all the Bible? In, in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Acts, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And Luke here hints to us, he's making an unspoken contrast. In the first book, in Luke part 1, I talk about what Jesus began to do and teach, and now in Luke part 2, what he continues to do and to teach. The Gospel of Luke is Jesus' ministry here on earth. The Acts is Jesus' ministry from heaven. Which is why we begin with the ascension story. He goes from earth back to heaven, but he continues his ministry from there. So I guess if I was going to give a full title to the book, uh, much longer than, than we'd probably like, the book is The Acts of Jesus, the Son of the Father, by the power of the Spirit in the church. That's what the book is about. The acts of Jesus, the Son of the Father, by the power of the Spirit in the church. And Luke records that message for us. A message about the spread of the gospel to the nations. The mission to the Gentiles. Again from verse 8, my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts tells us how the gospel spread, how it was no longer ethnocentric, how it was no longer geographically centric, but began to go out to the ends of the earth. And that glorious spread, and that spread which continues even today as the gospel still goes out to the ends of the earth. It goes out by those who were sent commissioned by the churches to declare the word, it goes forth like we have tonight via the internet. The gospel continues to go out. The mission to the Gentiles. Acts records for us the opposition to that mission. Opposition that comes from outside the church. Opposition even from within the church. As the Gentiles are brought in. They would question about the Gentiles doing things a different way. They had their tradition. They knew how it was supposed to be done. As the Gentiles came in, that was disrupted. And some opposed that. And it, it's, a, it's a danger we still face today. As a church, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that binds us together as a congregation? Is it the gospel or is it our tradition? Now, we are a church that's over 60 years old and have some wonderful traditions of how we do things. And I'm, I'm so pleased to hold on to those traditions 
but I've also seen a wonderful openness to be willing to re-examine. Is something only traditional? Or is it okay for us to do it another way? And there's been a wonderful openness to that. And so as people come in, as they confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we never want our tradition to get in the way of them being fully a part of this congregation. And I want to commend you for your willingness to embrace all that God brings to us. It's a message about the ongoing work of the kingdom of God. That's the end of verse 3. Jesus came, gave many a proof, speaking for 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. When he came in the Gospels, the kingdom was advancing, the kingdom is now here, and the kingdom continues to grow. It grows in our homes. It grows in our church. It grows in our education. It grows in our vocation. In all things we do, the kingdom of God continues to advance. That's the glorious message of the Gospel of the truth of acts, the acts of Jesus Christ, Son of God, by the power of the Spirit in the church. Luke speaks of the same Christ we serve today. He speaks of the same Spirit in the church today. He speaks of the same Father who's in control of all things as today. And he tells us the same gospel. The same truth that, that for all who by faith embrace the fact of Jesus Christ, the fact of his life and death and resurrection, can know for certain, not only did he die and live again, but we who are dead in sins come to life again through the power of the Holy Spirit and the finished work of Jesus Christ. That same call of the gospel that went out in the book of Acts goes out again tonight. It's not just a hope. It's not an opinion. The truth of the gospel is a fact of history. Embrace that by faith. And you can know for certain. You have been washed. You have been cleansed. You are now God's child. The word of God itself gives you certainty and gives you that promise. May God bless us as together we enter into this study of the book of Acts. Luke part 2 to see what God has done and what he continues to do in his church today. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you and we praise you for your holy word. A word that describes what took place so long ago. And a word that also prescribes how we should live today. Make us, O oh God, good and careful students of your word, that we can see these glorious truths and know how we can honor you in our lives. We thank you for the book of Acts that records for us the ongoing work of Jesus Christ, your Son, by the power of the Spirit, the ongoing work in our church today. We ask you would bless us in our study. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.